not fear the one and only Tucker Carlson. He's here, right here, right now. Buck up, it's going to get better. Hello, welcome to Tuckered Out, a podcast where we talk about local man harassed at a sporting goods store, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> harassed. Rightly, though. <laughs> I'm Tyler. I'm Troy. That was out of order. We're figuring it out. It's yeah, been it's been a rough day. Don't do a rhythm right off. Right. <laughs> um, welcome back. Uh, before we get started, we have patrons to thank. First on the list, we have Full Tilt Nikki is just asking questions. Thank you very much, Full Tilt Nikki. Yes, thank you, Nikki. And Karen Edgen is an elite. Thank you, Karen. You are by far the world's best Karen. By far. You you make up for the rest of your species. Unless um, we have any other any other Karens who donate, <laughs> in which case you're equally as amazing. <laughs> uh, what are we talking about this week, Troy? Well, Tyler, as you know, uh, typically here on the pod, we talk about a little fella named Tucker Carlson. That's true. Um, there was some unusual happenings with our scheduling this week. Yes. And uh, it, you're here, but for a minute, it looked like I was going to have to use a replacement, Tyler. And uh, uh, Haley Joel Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke no one except me and Troy will get, so I apologize. <laughs> That, that's what they're here for, the, the cryptic <laughs> esoterra. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it looked like for a minute there I was going to have to pull a replacement, Tyler, and I didn't feel right because there have been some developments in the NSA story and just like some prolonged narratives on Tucker's show recently, and I didn't feel right dropping somebody new. In, in and you'd have mix. to re-explain everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and so the episode I prepared d- it does not relate much to Tucker Carlson, although he'll be mentioned a bit. Okay. Um, but there's there's this other guy I've been wanting to talk about for a minute now. What do you know about Dan Bongino? Um, not much. I think we've talked about him on this podcast before. I don't. Um, I've mentioned him because he has a Fox show now. Okay. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah. Uh, very little. None at all. Good. That's what I like to hear. Okay. Great. Yeah, so- My role is very easy. <laughs> And then uh, before before we dive right into Dan Bongino, I have uh, two quick announcements to make. One, um, some of you who follow us on Twitter might have seen the Twitter poll. We're uh, fishing for a name for our Facebook group for the listeners. So far, Wokeristas is in the lead, but you still have a couple of days to uh, get in there and make your voices heard. Um, and secondly, so th- th- this this episode's coming out on Wednesday. Um, so for those of you who are listening prior to eight o'clock. On the day this episode comes out. <laughs> yes. Uh, we are going to be live streaming with our friends over at the Imperial News Podcast, Wednesday the 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, yeah, they're on Twitch, Imperial News with a Z. Yeah, and, I'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll have some information on Twitter, and I'll put some in the episode description as well. But if you want to see more of us, and uh, you aren't doing anything at 8 o'clock tonight, <laughs> then catch us on stream with uh, with Jody in Vienna from Imperial News. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Get to learn about Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Those weird tundra people. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out how our problems are their fault, personally. I'm thrilled. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Daniel Bongino. Uh, Here's a little introductory clip uh, to give you a feel for what we're dealing with here. All right. Folks, I'm sure the communists at YouTube, I'm absolutely positive. Joe, do you have the Soviet National Anthem? 
Do you have that ready yeah, to roll? Dan, uh, let, let me take can, that out Can you for cue you. that up for us, please? So, you know, we're talking about fake book and the uh, communists at YouTube, so it's only appropriate for the Soviet national. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Every time we talk about the communists, yeah, thank you, Joe. The communists at YouTube and the communists at Facebook, we, of course, have to include this. So that's Dan Bongino. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's high energy. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Um, and he hates communism, so he's probably an American. And he really hates YouTubers. Yeah, is he, what I'm getting picking up from this. Yeah, he's uh, he's not a fan of big tech, despite doing extraordinarily well on big tech platforms. <laughs> so Dan Maggino has been around for a minute now, and for the most part, he's managed to avoid drawing too much attention outside of his steadily growing audience. He was and still is a huge proponent of Spygate, which is the theory that Donald Trump was being illegally spied on. Um, oh, that's an old one. Yeah, and it, it that, that that theory is nonsense. I'm not going to get into it here, but uh, uh, just because it's not exactly current news, and I don't, I hate talking about Trump. But I'll don't I'll, we all? <laughs> I, I'll I'll link some stuff in the episode notes. Like that, Spygate is is a bunch of bullshit. But that was where Dan first really really took off in the conservative media space was as the kind of probably the leading proponent of Spygate. Um, oh boy. He, he showed up in Infowars a lot around that time, pitching that narrative. And he's really had a meteoric rise. Like Dan Mangino has gone from having an occasional Infowars appearance to hosting a show on NRA TV to now holding a, uh, a weekend show on Fox news every Saturday night, uh, unfiltered with Dan Bongino. Oh no. <laughs> Um, he, and you, you can find his fingerprints on a lot that's happened in the last couple of years. Like he, he was the one who suggested to Donald Trump that he start holding rallies outside of airports during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, that was Dan's idea during a, a Trump called him into the Oval Office to talk strategy. <laughs> um, really? Yep. Uh, was he on Fox yet? Uh, he was a contributor, so he didn't have a regular show, but he, he would bring stories to different hosts at, on occasion okay and then someone in around trump was like yeah this guy should be giving advice to the president of the united states of America. yeah yeah why not I mean, okay that, I mean, that sounds like the world i live in i mean not the least qualified person who was brought on to give advice to the president <laughs> true but maybe more than anyone else right now dan bangino is at the forefront of efforts on the right to build a parallel media ecosystem a parallel media ecosystem. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about this. Uh, in the last several years, we've seen right-wing media personalities become increasingly adept at building large and loyal followings on existing social media platforms. Uh, in, in many ways, the, those platforms are kind of tailor-made for it. They, they, these people, they peddle outrage. Outrage generates engagement. Uh, and, engagement and, generates more engagement. Yeah, and the, the, <laughs> the algorithms governing these platforms reward engagement and funnels the study stream of disgruntled people into conservative media's perpetual outrage machine. And, and there's been a lot of talk in recent years about kind of the, the radicalizing potential of social media where algorithms that are designed to keep people coming back also tend to kind of amplify the worst tendencies in people. Yeah. And the ability to control who you follow or to participate in like tailor-made discussion groups allows you to exist in these echo chambers where you never have to hear an hear opinion that disagrees with yours. Yeah. So it, it, those, those are spaces where extreme views can be reinforced without pushback. And 
a lot of right-wing media personalities have taken full advantage of this, as we know. But of all of them who have sprung up on these platforms, Dan Pagino is particularly good at this. The performance on his Facebook page, for example, is fucking bananas. Uh, posts from Bagino's Facebook page routinely register an astonishing slice of the top 10 shared posts on the platform. So it, every day there'll be a th- the top 10 most shared Facebook posts. Okay. And pick a day, Dan Bagino's name is going to be on that list. Wow. Um, That's not good. <laughs> yeah. As far as I can tell, his record was October 23rd of last year, when posts from his Facebook page accounted for eight of the ten top-performing posts that day. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, it's, that's not good. Like it's wild. It's wild how much how much traffic he gets on Facebook, and that's only a slight anomaly. Slight anomaly. For example, on June 17th, when I first started researching for this episode, he clocked in at three out of the top ten. Like it's this is a regular occurrence. Um, the the Mm. only one who really competes with them on Facebook is Ben Shapiro. And when you consider how much longer Shapiro has been building that base than Dan, it's, it's kind of astonishing. Yeah. But for Dan Pangino, the current state of play isn't good enough. As he puts it, he wants conservatives to have their own pipes, uh, their own pipes of information. He wants conservatives to control their own digital communications infrastructure that is separate from the big tech firms. And in recent months, he's shown a willingness to leverage his personal wealth to create that infrastructure. Okay, so the chambers are not echoey enough, is what, <laughs> yeah. is what his, his problem is. Yeah, yep. I, I, I only heard two rebounds in that chamber. <laughs> we need a minimum <laughs> of five. <laughs> in, uh, in April, Dan Magino was interviewed by the Washington Post. And in that interview, he said he hopes to create, quote, a parallel media economy for conservatives. Quote, Creating a parallel media economy is not a good idea. It's a necessary idea. I want to be crystal clear, and that distinction has got to be lucid in your heart. So he's very invested in this idea of conservatives having, like, their own, essentially their own internet. (laughs) Uh, Um, They kind of already do, though. Like, Facebook groups and, like, you know, algorithms, like you were saying, like already create communities around extreme ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a couple examples of this. Bongino is an equity stakeholder in Parler. According to another one of Parler's investors, a guy named Jeffrey Warnick, yet probably never would have taken off had it not been for Bongino's star power. To quote Warnick, Parler before Bongino joined was this little app that was making squeaky noises but it was hard to convince people to move over because there was not that big name to give it credibility. Without Bongino, we might never have scaled up. He became the face of Partler. And you, uh, this reminds me of something you were saying earlier too. Um, when someone is selling you on my app, my freedom phone doesn't have censorship. They're basically saying Nazis are welcome here. Like that's, that's all they're doing. Because <laughs> yeah. if you don't ban people who openly want to, like, kill the Jews or something, then you are allowing those conversations to take place on your platform and you're welcoming Nazis. So everyone who's going around saying, oh, we don't ban anyone, we don't censor anyone, they're basically just saying Nazis welcome. Uh, fuck you, Nazis suck. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 in effect, these people are opposed to just any content moderation. And, like... It, I, I, I don't think that the internet 
like there wouldn't be any worthwhile places without some degree of content moderation. Yeah, right. Because because if you don't moderate dangerous conversations, then you are implicitly endorsing those conversations, yeah. right? But it's not just Parler. Bongino is also huge on Rumble, a video platform that a lot of right-wing media figures are turning to as an alternative to YouTube. And currently, he's in the process of launching something called AlignPay, which is a new payment processing platform intended to compete with Stripe and PayPal. AlignPay advertises itself as advanced payment processing that's powered by freedom and engineered to cancel cancel culture. How is PayPal promoting cancel culture? I, I think what this came out of is that like Stripe banned Trump from collecting off on like uh, Stop the Steal donations. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, on its website, AlignPay warns, don't let big tech cancel your ability to raise money. So I'm pretty sure they're talking about the Trump thing. Okay, so it's exclusively for Trump. <laughs> pretty much. Who yeah. else? <laughs> no one else is ever going to get banned well, from hey, collecting hey, money. I, I can see maybe somebody wants to start raising money for Unite the Right 2. <laughs> <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Uh, Bongino told the Washington Examiner this about a line pay. Quote, Anyone who's going to engage in any of this cancel culture totalitarianism we're going to expose and offer our services to the people you cancel. So I, I guess if you get canceled, you can use a line pay. It's, it's okay. what they're going for. Sure. I don't think cancel culture is a real thing. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he bitches about cancel culture on these platforms and shit when he get he regularly registers in the top ten most shared posts on Facebook, like almost every fucking day. Yeah, he's not <laughs> fucking canceled. And he'll say in his podcast like it. You know, I, I, I do well not because of fake book, but I, I do well because people go there and share my posts. Fake book, fake book hates me. They're looking for an excuse to take me down. It's like they, they would have found it's like, one. It's like if they wanted to take you down, they could. They have the right to moderate their platform. Yeah, like <laughs> they, 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 like, they like pages that generate a lot of user engagement. So yeah. they're, they're probably fine with me, Dan. Yeah, I, I kind of wish Facebook would <laughs> get rid of you so that people weren't listening to your bad ideas. And that's not, like, he has a lot of these endeavors. Like, uh, his website, The Bongino Report, started out as an alternative to The Drudge Report for conservatives who were unhappy when Mad Drudge turned against Trump. The Bongino Report aggregates links from conservative sites, and Bongino also sends out a daily newsletter that curates some of those links for his fans. It, his YouTube channel boasts more than 800,000 subscribers. It's quite a few. Yeah. His podcast, The Dan Bongino Show, is also wildly popular. Um, the website Podcast Insights ranks ranks it as the 41st most popular show available on Apple Podcasts. On other aggregators, I've seen him get as high as 37. How have I not heard of this guy again? <laughs> that, that, that was one of the things that was interesting. Is like he he really is a force in this world, and mo most of like the the casual kind of lefty people I know don't really know anything about him, which is interesting. Yeah, I just pulled that off for sure. Because his audience is big. <laughs> Huge, sounds like. He also hosts a national daytime radio show, which uh, rebroadcasts are available on Fox Nation. And for the first for his first episode on that platform, he scored an interview with former President Trump. Uh, okay. All right. He'll just talk to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and as of last month, his first episode was on June 5th. He's the host of Unfiltered with Dan Bongino, an hour-long program that airs every Saturday night on Fox News. So my point is, Dan Bongino is a big deal on the right. Yes. And 
he's bigger than I think a lot of people outside that media bubble realize. And I think that's to a certain extent intentional because he's very invested in like creating these spaces where we don't go, you know? Yeah. Um, and then he can look like an underdog kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with that in mind, I wanted, I wanted us to talk about Dan Bongino. Um, I feel like he's, he's fallen more and more into our purview, even as we've been doing this show. And I think he is going to be around for a bit. I think you've made a pretty strong case for that, Troy. <laughs> so then, before we dive into my clips about Dan Bongino, I wanted to step back for a second and take a look at America, and specifically the, the partisan polarization in America. Because we hear all the time about how, like, it ever, so polarized, but, like, I want to put some numbers to that quick. <laughs> I just really like the way that you said, I want to take a step back and look at America. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, where's my NPR gig? <laughs> um, yeah, so it, I'm, I'm not going to dwell on this too much. Everybody has heard that like par- partisanship is really ramped up in the last couple of years, and a lot of people probably also know about like the asymmetric polarization where it's been more dramatic on the right. Yeah. Um, but some of these numbers are pretty astounding. Like on, on both sides, partisan a majority of partisans don't just report that they dislike the other side, but are afraid of the other side. A majority of both parties will say that the other side rep- has no good ideas and that they represent a threat to the country. Gosh, I wonder who could be convincing people <laughs> of something like that. Yeah, it's weird. Like, only one side wants to murder the other side. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> openly. Yeah, and it, it's just like, it, there's been a, a very consistent trend in recent years about a, a rising tide toward kind of mutual antipathy. This is something where I think, like, the way that social media has kind of compressed everything it, into its most extreme form, kind of. Yeah, and I, th- I think we now tend to consider our political identities a lot more central to our being than maybe people have traditionally. Yeah. Um, and not to say that politics wasn't important to people, but, like, okay, here's what I mean. You could have whatever political views you wanted, but, like, you all... You went to your kid's soccer game, and you could hang out with the other parents there and not know what they thought. Yeah. And now if you have them on social media, you probably do, and that tells you about whether or not you like them, and that's going to color your other interactions, you know? Yeah, my mom does that all the time. Like, she she will take breaks from Facebook because people in her social circles will post Trump stuff, and it makes her really frustrated, so she's like, I, I can't even talk to these people. I have to, <laughs> I have to take a break from Facebook right now. And then, like, one thing that's interesting, too, is how um, how segregated by geography partisans are now, which is a pretty new thing. Generally, like, people who are more liberal live in one area, people who are more conservative live in another area, and there's less overlap than there's ever been in our country's history. Okay. So liberals probably live in cities. Yeah. And- yeah, it's, it's, it's very sharply on an urban-rural divide. Yeah. Um, because people who live in cities are like around other people. <laughs> yeah, that helps. That helps. Uh, oh, black people aren't all trying to murder me. Yeah, <laughs> y- y- you know, I've seen. I-, I passed a lot of these Indian guys. Not a one of them has tried to kill me yet. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> but this right here, th- this is the one I really wanted to to park on for a second. In the last five years, specifically. We've seen a sharp uptick in the number of people who think that political violence 
is at least sometimes acceptable. I think that's probably good, actually. Um, like, MLK didn't get what he wanted without political violence. Like, like he didn't do the violence, but there was violence acted upon him. And if he wasn't willing to do anything that, like, inflicted violence on his followers, we wouldn't have gotten the civil rights movement. That's interesting. I... <laughs> inflicted violence on his followers i need to think more about that i'm not saying he did it himself but he knew and they knew what the risks were you know what i mean um yeah i i don't know i could be way off base on this like the the reason i don't know that i'm willing to go that far is because i think a lot of this is based on shit that isn't real okay like if (laughs) if Okay, if an election was actually stolen, that's a time where you would expect you would expect some political violence to happen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if people just think an election was stolen, then that, and then people die. Yeah, that, that's a lot worse. So, yes, I, no, no, you're completely right there. I agree. And like, only one president uh, has like desperately tried to. Okay. I shouldn't say only one president. Um, the most recent president, uh, Mr. Trump, openly tried to send the military to kill, like, peaceful protesters. Um, <laughs> so, like... <laughs> yeah. Um, that political violence, bad. Don't agree. Um, if they're so in favor of the First Amendment, then they should let people speak w- about what makes them upset. But, uh, anyway... <laughs> uh and then, like, even on the most extreme, the most extreme part of this questionnaire, the, the numbers are still ticked up. So, like, uh, 9% of Americans and 13% of Republicans say that they completely agree in the necessity of taking violent actions if, if their political leaders fail. Um, okay. And, and if, you, if you tweak the wording to where it's, like, sometimes acceptable, you can get as high as, like, 40% of Republicans. Oh. Yeah, see, it, like, it depends on who's saying it, right? Because... I feel like if a Republican's saying that, they're worried about the libs coming to take away their what do they want to take away? They want they want brown people to be allowed to exist. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so if if Republicans are like, oh, I need to go murder them because they're trying to make me see brown people, that's obviously not good. But like I, I don't know. I I think there have been a lot of times in history where the only way that we made progress was a lot of people dying. <laughs> See, and I, I I think you're right that this kind of thing probably is sometimes necessary. Like just taking historical view, I it, it's it's hard to like factually disagree. I have a hard time co-signing that on like a fundamental level. Yeah, like I I agree. Like it feels wrong to say, yeah, we need violence. You know, because that, like, I feel like that makes it sound like, um, I want it tomorrow, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, but, no, but, like, when fascists want to kill you, when they, like, tear gas you standing outside of a church so they can take a stupid photo op with an upside-down Bible, <laughs> um, I feel like that warrants anger and, like, being, um... Being angry by itself doesn't make them do anything. Yeah, and I, I, I think it is worth drawing the line that, like, when we're talking about violence, we aren't specifically talking about, like, killing people. Yeah. That's, like, to the extent that this is about killing your political enemies, I'm never on board with that rhetoric um, yeah. under any circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> but, and and this, get, this gets muddy because, like, 
it, people will the people on the right will say the BLM protests over the summer were violent because they like burned a building. And yeah, but think- like it, it, that's not that wasn't part of the movement. You know, like there have been rioters at every peaceful protest. Yeah, in I, history, I just, what I was getting at is like I don't think you can do violence to a non-living entity. Okay. Uh, okay. So, but I, I don't know. So then you get into this definitions thing. I like. I, I'm. I don't know. It's it's an area that is more gray than I like it to be. Yeah, I I think uh, this has actually come up in conversations with other friends with me this week so i i probably could stand to figure out where i sit on this too so sorry to like make a really muddy conversation out of this you probably oh. weren't expecting that oh no i'm all for it like, <laughs> okay <laughs> i like if this if if this podcast was just about listening to assholes say stupid shit like i i, I, I wouldn't want to do it sometimes it's about us saying stupid shit sometimes we're the assholes <laughs> um so this kind of got away from me mostly because I didn't write down any specific numbers because I'm a hack and a fraud. <laughs> but, uh, not a hack, not a fraud. But I, I'll, just I'll, busy. I'll, I'll have I'll have all these studies in the uh, in the episode citations and in the show notes. It was a weird week preparing for this one. Yeah, um, this has been a, a hard week for both of us. So, <laughs> but I'll I'll have it all there for anybody who's more interested in like digging into this data on the polarization. It is it is interesting if you're into that kind of thing. Um. But the the point I'm trying to draw is that, like, the reason that something like a conservative media ecosystem that stands on its own accord and has its own pipes is appealing is largely because of this animosity toward the other and feeling that the other isn't, is trying to destroy you. And then it also feeds into that because, like we were talking about it, you get deeper into these echo chambers, deeper into these uh, these spaces where a dissenting voice is never heard. <laughs> Yeah, and so that that's kind of the the through line I want us to be looking at as we as we follow Mr. Bongino here, because I, I thought I, I do think it's worth taking a look at the man who, with the force of a rapidly growing platform behind him, is actively trying to reshape the landscape of American media. So a little biography: uh, Dan Bongino was born and raised in Queens, New York City. He describes a somewhat tumultuous upbringing. His stepfather, to hear Dan tell it, was an alcoholic who was physically abusive when he drank. Dan says that seeing police officers come to his mother's aid during these episodes is what inspired him to become a cop later in life. And he also says that these experiences with his stepdad made him decide that he would never be physically intimidated again. That appears to be the genesis for a strict physical fitness regimen that is obvious just by looking at him. The, the, like, the dude is stacked, honestly. Like, he, he had cancer recently, and he's been through chemo, and he's still pretty stacked. Holy I shit. Mean, uh... It's actually, I'm going to pull up a picture for myself. <laughs> and it's actually kind of a cool story. He, uh, a, a listener or a viewer from his on his podcast saw a lump on his neck, and this viewer was like an oncology nurse, so she was like, hey, you should go get that checked out, and it turned out he had cancer. Well, shit. Yeah. So what I'm saying is we need to put a we need to add a video component to this podcast like immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've totally seen pictures of this guy. I didn't know he was Dan Bongino. Okay. Um... Yeah, uh, he's 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 jacked. That's is true. Um, all right. So child abuse uh, is bad. Uh, no matter who you are. Yeah, yeah that, that that that's not a gray one. <laughs> Speaking of gray areas, I want to be I want to be clear about something before we go any further. Uh, this came up last week. Um, this is not a uh, a pro dog eating podcast. 
I emphatically did not last week come out in favor of eating dog meat for anybody who was confused. Uh, I think that I, might, <laughs> I don't even remember that coming up. So <laughs> I think there might have only been one person in the world who was confused by that. But just in case there are others, there you go. I am anti dog meat. Okay. <laughs> also anti dog meat. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan Mangino is ripped. We've talked plenty about his. his let's just talk a little bit more about his his jacked ass biceps. <laughs> uh, the dude is yoked beyond belief. <laughs> And now I'm overselling it. <laughs> and he wears these ridiculously tight t-shirts that show that off. And it, that, it's just part of his general demeanor of this, like, very performative masculinity. Yeah. He's very much, like, the man at the gym who talks about his gun collection, you know? Yeah. That, that's Dan Bongino. And because of that, it's easy to write him off as just some meathead and many on the left do. And I think that's a mistake. Dan Bongino is not a dumb man. He graduated with a master's degree in psychology from Queens College, and from there he began he began a career in law enforcement that would eventually form the perfect backstory for the character he plays in conservative media now. Bongino worked for the New York City Police Department from 1995 to 1999. Here's how he talks about his time on the force now. This is from a recent episode of Unfiltered, where he's talking about the Democrats' war on police. Their war against the police is out of control. We have street chaos everywhere. Crime is erupting in liberal cities all over this country right now. Folks, again, it's not that the Democrats don't know what works. I was there in New York City. I was a police officer under former Mayor Rudy Giuliani when we implemented broken windows policing, when we locked up people for the small crimes so they didn't go later and kill or murder or rape someone, God forbid, in the bigger crimes. I saw it. I was there. They know what works and they don't care. There's a war on cops because cops keep murdering people. So I think that's a pretty good reason to want to fix the police system or abolish it. Um, also, what else? Um, he's a big fan of Rudy. He might be the only one right now. Uh, known first cousin marrier, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all. I, I just wanted to dunk on Rudy a little bit. Um, yeah, and speaking of Giuliani, uh, crime rates in New York City did fall during Rudy Giuliani's tenure as mayor. But that's only part of the story. While Giuliani's tough-on-crime, zero-tolerance policing policies did coincide with a decline in crime rates, they also coincided with a sharp increase in civilian complaints about police misconduct, as well as an increase in the number of lawsuits alleging police misconduct or abusive use of force. Meanwhile, New York City was not the only American city that saw a decline in crime during this period. Many urban communities across America experience similar reductions in crime rates without implementing any of those tough on crime policies. Yeah, the economy was doing really well at the turn of the century. Like, There you go. <laughs> <laughs> A study published in the journal Crime and Delinquency in 1999 compared the crime rate, arrest statistics, and citizen complaints in New York City with those in San Diego, where a more problem-oriented community policing strategy was implemented. And they found that San Diego achieved similar crime control outcomes while producing far fewer negative impacts on citizens in urban neighborhoods. On a macro level, skeptics of zero-tolerance policing attribute the overall decline in crime in the 90s to the economic boom that was also experienced during that period. Between 1992... Well, I put between 1992 and 1992 here, but I think it was 99. <laughs> <laughs> 
From roughly June to July 1990. <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> in the 90s, the national unemployment rate declined by 39%. Studies have found that a single percentage point decline in the jobless rate decreases instances in burglary by 2.2% and motor vehicle theft by 1.8%. So with the 39% drop in the jobless rate, it's not hard to imagine that the reduction in those crimes would also be pr- pretty dramatic. Research has also shown that increase in the real minimum wage significantly reduces instances of robberies and murders. A 10% increase in the minimum wage will coincide with the 3.7% fewer robberies and 63 to 6.9% fewer murders. So Dan Mangino happened to be on the police force during a time when the nation as a whole experienced an economic boom and a subsequent decline in crime. He then attributes that to Rudy Giuliani's stuff on crime policies, which when you really look at it, is evidentially false. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like the biggest impact they had there as opposed to other cities was that the police abused citizens more. Yay! Police abuse of citizens. Yeah, it all, it's always bothered me that, like, the right likes to pretend that people are just, that some people are just born criminals and they're scum, and once we find them, we just gotta put them away for life. Um, people, people don't like robbing people it's not fun (laughs) it's not a fun life to live uh people do that because they're really desperate and they can't and they can't find another way to live their life peacefully exactly (laughs) no i've only committed minor crimes and they made me paranoid as hell like living that way is nobody's first choice yeah it sucks uh i mean i guess i guess that was like five felonies that one day anyway um Story time after recording. I, I, I crossed multiple state lines with illegal drugs, so it, it, each one is a felony. Um, <laughs> okay, is it's is it multiple felonies or is it one felony multiple times? Are those different? I, I'm not a legal expert, but maybe they'll make an opening <laughs> argument episode about us. Any lawyers in the audience? How many felonies did Troy commit? <laughs> but yeah, it, whatever his experience. Allegedly, sorry. <laughs> This is like the second time I've admitted to a crime on air now. We're, we're really professionals on this. Um, <laughs> uh, whatever his experiences on the police force were, though, Dan Magino left the force in 99 to join the United States Secret Service. Uh, he worked for the Secret Service for 12 years and seems to have had a pretty successful career there. He was brought on as a special agent and then became an instructor at the Secret Service Training Academy in 2002. In 2006, he was reassigned to the Presidential Protection Detail where he protected George W. Bush during his second term. He remained on protective duty after Barack Obama took office, and didn't leave the Secret Service until 2011, when he decided to run for the U.S. Senate. Now, Bongino did lose that bid for Senate. but Thank it didn't, God. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't really matter. Uh, the important part of that campaign was that Bongino started to build name recognition, which he then parlayed into his first book, Life Inside the Bubble, about his experience in the Secret Service protecting both Bush and Obama. Several of Bongino's former colleagues in the Secret Service have said that, have said that the book exaggerates how much excess to the president that Bongino actually had. They've also disputed his claims that he was present during important meetings in the Oval Office. Bongino claims to have had access to high-level discussions, while Secret Service members he served with have said that, have said that this was not actually the case. And some of them even went so far as to criticize Bongino for using his time in the Secret Service as, as part of his run for political office. Bongino would go on to run for Congress two more times after his initial defeat. Uh, he, he ran once more in Maryland and then later in Florida. 
And while so far he's not managed to wield political power in the halls of Congress, he has built those campaigns into a broader mythology of himself that he peddles on his show. Depicting himself as an ordinary guy turned reluctant hero by, by the insanity he witnessed while protecting and guarding Barack Obama. All right. Maryland and Florida? Yeah, I, I, he lived in Maryland at the time, and he now lives in Florida. Um, huh, okay. Throughout the Trump years, Bongino was an aggressive proponent of Spygate, and he was just a bulldog in support of Trump. It was during this time that he began regularly appearing on InfoWars, and then shortly after that he made his first appearance on Hannity, which wound up being the best thing that ever happened to Bongino. Um, he, he became a regular guest on Hannity and eventually guest-hosted a couple episodes while Hannity was out. Wow. Um, and th- that's really how he got his foot in the door at Fox, was Hannity discovered him. All right. Um, That'll do it. And now we are where we are. Um, here's how he opened his very first episode of Unfiltered on Fox. On this show, me, Dan Bongino, will passionately fight for capital R, God-given rights and liberties. By relentlessly exposing the multitude of lies from the radical left and their media sycophants. On this show, I promise to be your voice. Because I'm horrified that the values that have made us that shining city on a hill are being set aflame right now. I pledge to ask the tough questions of politicians when necessary. And to never, ever back away from a principled fight. The fight matters. The fight always matters. The truth matters. And you matter. Signed, and always unfiltered, Dan Bongino. This is something that's different from, different with Dan compared to Tucker, who we normally cover. With Dan Bongino, there's a lot of pathos. There's a lot of uh, this earnestness and sincerity baked into his presentation. It's different, but I think, I think for his audience, it's probably very effective. I, I consider Dan Bongino a very good communicator. And part of the reason I feel that way is because listening to him often rem- reminds me of being in church. Okay. Like he, uh, if you listen to his podcast, he always has like one, one just quippy one line sentence that he builds the episode around. And he'll go back to it constantly. It becomes a mantra. There was one that was a uh, cutesy time is over. And that was about how we need to get tough on Republicans to make them start standing up for conservative values. It was just. Cause they weren't doing that. <laughs> not, not enough. No. Um, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, it, it's like he'll. There's oscillation in his tone. He'll get he'll go into these like quiet, kind of whispery points, and then these big crescendos as he gets angry and go and goes on these tirades, and then he'll go back to cutesy time is over. Just there's always a mantra. I like think, you don't have to hear what he's saying to feel it. If that makes is yes. that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I can't totally describe it. I don't think I'm just like here. Here's another clip where I think it's evident. I, I think I think you'll start to get what I mean. There's no compassion in separating people from the dignity of work. None. There is nothing dignified about paying people to sit on their butts and then pretending it's compassionate to do so. Listen, I'm nobody's hero here and I'm not trying to be. I'm just a guy who's been blessed to have this microphone. But I mopped a lot of floors in my life. I cleaned a lot of toilet bowls. I cleaned a lot of mausoleums while working in the cemetery. Wasn't easy to do that, but it was dignified. And I was proud of it. And when they told me to mop that damn floor in aisle four in key food, I mopped that damn floor. And it was the cleanest floor in that supermarket. And I was proud of it. Because all work is dignified. It allows you to add value to this society, to earn your keep, and not to live off 
the, 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 uh, the hard work of others. You know, my daughter, she doesn't have to work right now, but she does. She scoops ice cream, not because she has to, but because she needs to. Because work is dignified and separating people from the dignity of work is not just non-compassion. It's evil. Not because she has to, but because she needs to? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, th- I think what he's getting at is materially she doesn't have to, but she feels an internal drive to work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So she was born in America and believes that work is the only thing that gives you value. So that makes sense. Especially if you're her dad. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've all, like, I, I know that we both had the experience of, like, getting a new job at, like, a shitty grocery store or something. And for a little bit, you really buy into the mission. You want to, like, help the store and you, there's, you think there's value in helping it run. And then, yeah. And that quickly, like, patinas and wears off when you realize, like, oh, this sucks and they're totally exploiting my labor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> dude, dude. I was so much happier, like, several years into working summers at a grocery store because when I first started, every time someone said the price was wrong and they took their anger out on me, uh, I would get mad at them because they're just trying to screw the store or whatever. But, like... When I, like, after a while, it's just, it's just like, okay, I'll just change the price, whatever. Right. <laughs> um, and, and then they're happy and I don't give a shit what price they're selling it for. I don't care. <laughs> uh, um, and then I, I would still print out the things. Um, there was a, there was like a, it would print out after their receipt and it's like, this needs a price change. So I would just do that. And then the lady who was supposed to fix it never fucking fixed it anyway. So I just did what I was supposed to do, and I just I just let I just let them have whatever they wanted. I didn't I don't care. Yeah. Uh, and I was so much happier when I could just let go of like this feeling that uh, you know like people are trying to fuck the store or whatever. Yeah. Um, because I don't because they're not like they feel like the store is trying to fuck them in that moment, you know, right. and like they are because it's a market economy and they're <laughs> trying to make a profit, but like more than usual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I believe in the dignity of work. I also believe that that doesn't apply to all work. Like I, I think if if you're putting a lot of time and effort and labor, like blood and sweat, into something that is important to you, then th- th- there's a lot of dignity in that. And that's good. And we should encourage it. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think there's dignity in mopping floors. Yeah. Dog. Like that, <laughs> that shouldn't be part of your identity. <laughs> no, no. And also how much money was he making mopping floors? Was it enough to cover rent? No, yeah. there's yeah. nowhere that you can mop floors and cover rent. <laughs> yeah. No goddamn way. <sighs> um, I I don't get to virtue signal socialism as often as I want to on this show, so I think work should be optional. But <laughs> um, I I don't know if Troy agrees with me on that. But like, I think people should be able to work on things that are meaningful to them. And if they are not working for whatever reason, I don't give a shit what the reason is. If they don't want to work, they should be able to live a comfortable life in the richest country in history. <laughs> Uh, there's more than enough resources for everyone to have a house and not die, regardless of whether everyone's working or not. Yeah, and I like up until very recently, I would have I, I I would have disagreed with you on that, but it's kind of a a way my thinking has changed really since we've been doing this show because it's made me think about more like 
what is the world I want in opposition to the world that these people are trying to build? And I think that, I think the goal of a society should be to maximize human happiness. And under capitalism, the goal is necessarily to maximize capital. Yeah. So, and like, like you said, in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, like, I don't think that, okay, let me back up even from there. Employer-based health insurance is so fucking stupid. The worst possible system. <laughs> like, okay, uh, okay. Second to nobody gets health insurance, yeah. you're not allowed. Yeah, like, you, you can show me a better one, I'm sure. But like, it, whether or not I can, I can get medicine should not be contingent on whether or not I, like, it shouldn't be up to my boss. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. And th- that's it's that kind of thing, like. The dignity of work can't answer for that. Yeah, and like, this idea that people don't want to work, people want to just sit on their ass and get paid for it, I think that's completely wrong. Even if even if I got my dream and we abolished capitalism tomorrow, people still like doing stuff. People don't like hanging out at home 24-7. Um, but I think that people should have the freedom to do that if they want, you know? Um where was I going with that? Some, um, and it relates to Dan Bongino's daughter. So his daughter works and she doesn't have to, except she has to, <laughs> according to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, that when you work, but you don't have to, you have extra money to buy stuff that you don't need, but that you want. I think all jobs should be like that. <laughs> you shouldn't yeah. have to work for a house. You should just have one. It, yeah, so that like you don't, it, so that you're not on the street. Like th- there is enough wealth that we could do that for everyone, and absolutely, and the wealthiest people wouldn't fucking notice. Nope. And like he's he's kind of talking about how great it is that she's working when she doesn't have to. I think all jobs should be like that. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, like <laughs> if I can get a little personal for a second, I the the reason that I was able to like start this podcast and get it off the ground because there there was a lot of upfront like I had I learned how to do this starting from zero knowledge, um and I still am by no means a professional but I we're still learning like th- th- there was there was a big learning curve upfront a, a very steep like entrance cost so to speak mm-hmm. um and the only reason that I was able to do that was because I had a nervous breakdown at work and it was cutting my hand open with, with scissors at my desk. And got sent home, and then I was off work on medical leave for two months. And having that time, I mean, obviously, I I did a lot of uh, therapy and getting medications adjusted and getting a proper diagnosis for the first time in my life. Yeah, um, that good for you, by the way. Yeah, that that <laughs> helped me a lot, and I'm I'm doing much better now. This podcast has been a significant source of meaning in my life. Like I. I I put as much work into this as I do my full time job, but I He sure does. But, it's fucking crazy. But like I look forward to this. I look forward to coming home and working on this. And like I don't feel like you have to make time for it. I'm happy spending my time this way. And I would love to be able to put more of my time into it, but I can't because my wife and I are still financially recovering from when I was off work for a while. And it's at a point now where if I don't continue to work, then everything that I have will be gone. And that fucking sucks. Yeah, and like I, I just 
and, and I don't want to make this about me. I'm not trying. I'm not. I'm not here for sympathy. This isn't like a woe is me thing. But what like, I, it shouldn't be this. It shouldn't be this hard to do something that's like meaningful to you and to at least some other people. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, if we value human happiness, we should be making it easier for people to do things that make them happy. Yeah. Man, this this is. I did not think our damn machine episode was going to get this deep. Um, <laughs> we just, like, really don't want to talk about Dan Bongino, so we're like, anything other than Dan Bongino. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and this might be a good point to just to note. Tyler and I have expressed a lot of uh, left views here, and this is a left-leaning show. Like, I don't think either of us are ever going to deny that. This is a leftist podcast. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. But I, I, I strive really hard to... Take these people in context. I'm not. I'm not misrepresenting what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I. You don't have to misrepresent them to make them crazy, though, which is kind of yeah, and the like, point, right? And I, uh, I, I, I note all my sources for these episodes, and then I send them to Tyler, who compiles them into a bibliography for each episode. Yes. So he knows. I, I, I take journey with separate. Like I try to, I try to find multiple sources for anything that I'm saying. Um. And I just felt like that was worth noting here as we're talking about how work should be abolished and capitalism is evil. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm yeah. not, like, the, the show isn't just about disagreeing. The show is about, like, trying to find what's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for anyone who goes and checks that right now, um, it takes a while to get that bibliography <laughs> updated. So it's not up to date yet, but yeah. I'm working on it. Yeah, we are a couple episodes behind, but we'll get there. And yeah. I, I can help you with that, by the way. We can talk about that off air. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but but from those clips, do you get kind of what I mean with Dan Bongino, like being a good emotional communicator? Yeah. And then even with the his premise was uh, it's not compassionate to separate people from the dignity of work. He says that up front. Then he takes you on an emotional journey. With his daughter person. and his history. Yeah. And then he brings it back to, there's no compassion in separating people from the dignity of work. It's evil. Like, he always bookends them. It's like perfect public speaking 101. Yeah. Like, like he, intro he, body conclusion. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. he, he's good at this. And if you know what you're looking for, you can see it pretty easily. But, if, I mean, it, I, I think about my, my grandparents, who I know watch his show. <laughs> And I, I know that this shit's effective for them in the same way that church is effective for them, you know? Yeah. I don't want to go on a super long tangent, but um, someone said something, a streamer I like said something, um, and it resonated with me that, like, when I listen to people speak, the first time I hear them, I'm almost never actually hearing the words they're saying, um, so... That's why that speech structure is so important, you know what yes. I mean? Yes. Um, so... Like, when Trump supporters listen to Trump, he's got this cadence that they're used to, and even if they don't hear the words, because if they heard the words, they'd be like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> but, like, his mannerisms and his uh cadence and all that stuff and his structure, or lack thereof, is the feeling that makes them vote for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, on the left, you have, like, Slavoj Žižek. Like, I don't know what the fuck he's saying, but... <laughs> but I feel it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, this uh, this next clip is going to sound very familiar to you. Tonight, the Great Awakening starting in America. Americans are worried about the fabric of our society being torn apart. Kids are being taught critical race theory. This is racist. 
This is a racist theory being taught to your kids right now in school. Our kids aren't oppressors. Our kids are the future. Your tax rates are about to go up. Where's this worked? We've tried this before. Remember the Jimmy Carter era? Stagflation? And who can tell you with a straight face that the government can spend your money better than you can? How does that make sense? Government control is growing. Your right to assemble, your right to practice your religion, all under attack. Where was the appendix in the Constitution that said, if there's a viral outbreak, your rights get flushed down the toilet? I haven't seen it. You probably haven't seen it either. And parents have had enough with everything from ridiculous mask mandates to the endless indoctrination of their children. This is in Palm Beach County, Florida. At school board meetings around the country, tensions are high as parents demand mask policies be removed at schools. Stop trying to incite division among us. The school board recently adopted an equity statement. Why? Your only job is education, not indoctrination. Attention, attention board members. Our nation is a republic. We are the people. We have a voice. Our Votes are our weapons, and we will use them in 2022 and beyond. We in the military, our blood, our sweat is the equity. It is courage, character, not color, not gender, that makes this nation great. Working Americans are united. We are not divided. Stop trying to incite division among us. Wow, they really hit all the bases there, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Good. Um... So, we just had an episode about critical race theory. Go listen to it. It's good. Good plug. <laughs> um, but uh, basically everything he said about critical race theory is wrong. Um, along with everything else that they said. I kept that clip at the end where he plays that montage of people at these parent meetings and stuff. Mm -hmm. Because the, the way he responds to it is markedly different than the way Tucker responds to it. In a way that I think is interesting. Okay. Amen. This is what's happening. Conservatives are learning. We're starting small. They're doing exactly what psychologist Jordan Peterson refers to as making your bed. This advice is everything. You can't change the world until you can make your own bed first. And making your own bed begins at home with your family. If we can't teach our kids about freedom and liberty and personal responsibility, then how the hell are we going to make the case to politicians? And that's exactly what parents are doing right now, standing up in their own communities. They are unapologetically standing up to school boards to stop these ridiculous mask mandates and the destructive indoctrination of our children with critical race theory. Create change locally, and that will cascade to a downstream movement in politics to change the country. So what I think is different here. He is actively telling his audience what to do to, like, make the change that they want to see in the country. Tucker doesn't really do that. He'll he'll talk about what's going on. He'll lie about it. Um, and then just, like, oh, isn't this bad? You should be mad. Blah, blah, blah. But unless it's, like, telling you... I mean, sometimes he'll say shit like, uh, if you see a kid wearing a mask, you should call the police. Yeah. But, but for the most part, he doesn't really have any advice for his audience and, like, what to do. Just what to be afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's where, like, Tucker's never run for office. Dan has run for office three times. I think Dan has, like, an, an agenda here that he wants to see enacted, and he's giving his audience advice on how to do it. 
Um, his advice is like, listen to Jordan Peterson to make your own beds in your own communities. Yeah. Um, and we have an episode about Jordan Peterson where we talk about why that ideology is flawed. So you should go listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Dan loves Jordan Peterson too. Uh, in this podcast recently, he was talking about how, uh, he was rereading 12 rules for life in the hammock in his backyard. <sighs> okay. But, uh, but yeah, he, he's going to be doing a lot more of this sort of like it tell, telling his audience how they can help make these changes. And that's, that's something I think is interesting for us to track as we're, as we're listening to this. Sure. Um, cause here he's going to talk a little bit more about making your own bed, making your own bed. That's starting small, but voting in elections is important. Remember when the left told us the only reason Trump became president is Vladimir Putin interfered in the election? He was put into office because the Russians interfered on his behalf. Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. He did not win the election without help from Russia. What is it going to take for you to acknowledge that Putin directed his officials to help you get elected? Putin intervened to help Trump. Where's the collusion report? It's so obvious that they were eager to collude with Russia. We'll get to the truth. And I believe the truth does mean that we'll get to collusion. That didn't stop these Democrats from voting in the midterms taking back control of Congress and the presidency in 2020. They don't give up, and we can't either. Okay, so Russia is not the only reason that Trump won. He's, that's just a big reason that Trump won. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, it, it didn't hurt, we can say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he had help from flawed institutions that allow candidates to win even when they fail to get the popular vote. And um, a large contingent of the United States with extreme racial prejudice. Yeah, and even like a system that allows for extreme poverty that makes people desperate enough to vote for a guy like Trump in a lot of cases. Yes. Even if you don't really – you'll hear a lot of these people say they didn't really like Trump, but – Clearly, the system that they had wasn't working, so this is something different. Yeah, that's another thing. Like, a neoliberal establishment that feels like it doesn't do anything. (laughs) And then Trump comes along and says, I'm going to change everything. And then everyone's like, yeah. And then he doesn't change anything. He's just super racist. (laughs) This this drives me crazy. Like, when when people talk about, when people argue in favor of keeping the filibuster— so when Joe Manchin argues about <laughs> keeping the filibuster hey, hey, like an asshole. Uh, it's fucking smoke show, Joe Manchin. This podcast is still unabashedly horny for that. I, for I that. will not infringe on his stunning good looks, <laughs> but his argument in favor of the filibuster is stupid. Yeah, they'll, they'll argue like, well, what about when Republicans take power and then we won't have any way to stop them from enacting their crazy shit? Democrats don't even use the filibuster. <laughs> like, I... I think reasonable people can disagree with me on this because, like, we are talking about policies that affect real people. Yes. But honestly, I think that I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with if Republicans win elections and get swept into power, they should be able to enact their, the agenda that they were elected to do, to enact. And I think that when that agenda inevitably is bad for people, mm-hmm. then and the effects of those policies are actually felt, people will then vote them out. Um. Kind of like last year, because <laughs> this uh, th- this the system where not where almost uh, almost nothing ever actually happens, 
what we get is it, it degrades it degrades politics into these like symbolic culture war fights. Yes. Um, and I think the more we can get away from those and focus on actual policy that's going to improve people's lives, the better. And if, a, yeah. if you try a policy and it fails to improve people's lives, then repeal that policy. And like, I, I know this sounds like naive and simplistic, but like, as few barriers to changing something when it needs to be changed is good. Yeah, like, cause, is that what you're saying? Yeah, because just being stuck in like, do trans people exist is not beneficial to fucking anyone. No. <laughs> Um, but that, like, that's all that, I mean, that, that's where the fights are happening in politics is nothing, nothing of substance is going to happen. Yeah. And I, I think Democrats like it this way. They like, like, they hate having power. They like being the underdogs that are like, well, there's nothing we can do. Those darn Republicans just have that filibuster. And then, so if they get rid of it, they don't have an excuse when they don't want to do anything anymore. <laughs> um. Yeah. And then of course you can't have this conversation in good faith without also talking about gerrymandering and, Gerrymandering the Electoral College. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Ugh, ugh, gross. <laughs> there being two Dakotas? Like, what the fuck? Why? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, okay. There's nothing wrong with being two Dakotas, but uh, the Senate is fucked up. So there being two Dakotas <laughs> feels wrong because the Senate sucks. Yeah, maybe, like, uh, the more powerful chamber of Congress shouldn't be one that favors land over people, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so Dan has some further thoughts on how his audience should conduct themselves. And, and this time, uh, he's talking about the, the war on police again. It's not just in our schools. Start small locally by supporting our law enforcement and law and order where you live. The defund the police movement cut police department budgets, causing massive spikes in crime, and it drove officers away from big cities. Rural police forces are now welcoming those experienced officers with open arms. Great cops who are tired of lunatic liberal policies, are leaving liberal cities now and going to places where the citizens actually respect them. Okay, so no cops lost their job because they just went to a different city and everything was fine? What's the problem? <laughs> yeah, conservatives make your own bed by supporting the police in your community and welcoming the, welcoming the ones that run away from other communities. <laughs> uh, Especially it, the ones that killed a black person. Yeah. And were forced to change precincts. And what he's talking about there with police fleeing liberal cities and, and moving to your communities, this gets into the bigger theme that I, I want to be looking at throughout this episode. So the the title of this episode is Dan Bongino and the Pseudo-Secessionists. Okay. Um, see, see. Are all the red counties in New York going to secede and have a civil war? Is it, that... <laughs> basically, that's what he wants. Yeah, oh, like, boy. That was a joke, and you're telling me it's real. <laughs> there are victories in the state level that only happened because people showed up and voted. Here's a Wall Street Journal op-ed. Blue states are shrinking, and they have defund the police to blame. Jason Riley writes, quote, The Census Bureau announced last month that California has gone the way of New York and Illinois in their terms of lackluster population growth, and thus will lose a congressional seat for the first time ever. Meanwhile, states like Texas and my home state of Florida have experienced strong population gains and will increase the size of their delegations in Washington. People voted in Texas and Florida, got Republican leadership, and now people in mass are leaving liberal states and moving to Texas and Florida, and they're not all liberals. 
People are voting with their feet. And the additional electoral college votes for Florida and Texas means it will now be easier for a Republican president to win that race with 270 electoral college votes every four years. Listen, voting still matters. Voting with your feet sounds like a a speed run challenge on Twitch. (laughs) It does, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I haven't looked I haven't looked into it with with the population numbers in Texas, but I do know that in the case of Florida, where they tout this population growth all the time, people are fleeing to Florida. Um, a lot of people are moving to Florida, but an almost equal number are moving out of Florida, so it's kind of a moot point. Um, but the, he's he's very focused on geography here, and this is a thread that once introduced is not going away. So what else can we do to escape the liberal dystopia and really change things? Well, one of the answers is in this piece by Michael Anton. Red lines, the Constitution invites us, and politics compels us to consider redrawing state and local borders. This may sound like a controversial idea, but I don't care. So redrawing state and local borders. Okay. So local borders get redrawn all the fucking time. That's... (laughs) Yeah, so and we've talked a little bit about instances of this. Like, there were the... um, the counties in Oregon that wanted to become part of Idaho. Um, there was uh, Tucker talked about the count the um, the Buckhead Borough in Atlanta that was going to become its own city. Um, it, that that's the kind of thing that Dan is talking about here. Wouldn't this all be a moot point if we didn't have the electoral college? It wouldn't matter how other people in your state voted. That yeah. sounds like a way easier solution. Yeah, th- that's part of it, but they're also like it, people in Oregon don't like the way their state is being run by by elect Democrats, and so they want to move to a state that uh, protects their interests more. Th- can... there, there's some of that too. Okay, but they don't want it so badly that they're actually willing to move. They want to yeah. <laughs> move the borders around me, please. It is very entitled. <laughs> <laughs> um, as someone who's watched how the states got their shapes, I, I don't think these people are appreciative of the history of their borders. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he's going to talk a lot more about, about that Michael Anton article. Then there's this. Anton writes, quote, Reds, us, increasingly are catching on. They know the game is rigged, that they cannot win. And the veneer of their participation and consent is a sham. This is why the gaslighting is being dialed up to lumen levels of blue stars. Every objection to blue despoilation is now openly ascribed to white supremacy. Don't want to be late for work because regime-favored protesters are illegally blocking an intersection? White supremacy. Object to being beaten up on the streets? White supremacy. Want to see the laws enforced equally and impartially? White supremacy. Wait. Time to cue Joe Biden. According to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Not ISIS, not Al-Qaeda, white supremacists. That's not me. That's the intelligence community. I digress. Back to Michael Anton. Listen to this part. Quote, Besides, as blues never tire of reminding us, aren't we reds, poor, weak, and dumb? Who wants such dross as fellow citizens? 
Imagine, say, Virginia's glorious future without all those retrograde hicks getting in the way of Northern Virginia's progressive utopian vision. Good point, right? Remember, we're the deplorables, white supremacists, racist, xenophobic, transphobic, istophobic, phobophobic, doesn't matter. They're making it all up, and it's all crap. Why not let us go to the states where we can cohabitate in phobic bliss? The answer? They'll never give up the power. So, Dan, I don't know if you know this, but um, we have open borders between states. You can go to whatever state you want. You don't need a passport, and it's really easy, actually. Yeah, it's 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 super not hard. I, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've crossed five state borders with illegal drugs. <laughs> Um, okay, out of more serious now. <laughs> um, okay, I think he might be touching on something that is legitimate. Um, I don't think Democrats target rural areas as much as they ought to. Um, I think that better healthcare, better education, better um, housing, you know, better uh, welfare uh, would be excellent for people in rural communities. But um, they they don't really campaign in those areas. Yeah. Um, for ob- for budgetary reasons, you know, like. Um, but if they did, I think that there is a big problem that um, Republicans overwhelmingly don't care about the policies <laughs> that are being enacted. They care more about the culture of the people enacting the policies. So if they see the party full of black, gay, trans people, <laughs> um, they're going to be like, can't vote for them. I don't care what their policies are. Yeah. So it's two sides of the same coin a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Caitlyn Jenner got booted CPAC. So. Fuck Caitlyn Jenner. But <laughs> good for the people who booed her. You know what I mean? Um, for the wrong reasons, but... <laughs> We're, we're tacitly in solidarity. <laughs> On this one particular thing, we can agree. Caitlyn Jenner sucks. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my take on all that. It's at this point in the show that Dan Bongino interviews Ron DeSantis, who he calls America's governor. And I'm not particularly interested in that. Like it, all these guys interview DeSantis all the time, and I don't want to. I don't want to replay their fucking campaign ads, so I'm not doing it. Uh, yeah, uh, TLDR, uh, DeSantis sucks. <laughs> yeah, uh, fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I, I have a, I have a gut feeling I'm going to have to talk about DeSantis a lot in my life, and so I'm going to minimize it now as much as I goddamn can. Smart decision, uh, Troy. <laughs> so, so instead, I'd like to talk a little bit about the history of American secessionist movements, because there's a long history of them in the U.S. Oh boy. Just recently, there there were, like we mentioned, the efforts by those counties in Oregon to join Idaho, but that's just one of a litany of examples. Many of these movements were just like protests that their ultimate goal was not actually secession, but to strong-arm the state into giving them something in order to stop the secessionist move from, movement. Um, examples of this include the McDonald Territory Movement in Missouri, the Contra Republic in Florida, and the Great Republic of Rough and Ready in California. The Great Republic of Rough and Ready was really funny. Uh, they This county did secede in California, um, but then they wanted to have an, have an Independence Day celebration, and despite technically not, not being in that country anymore. <laughs> um, and then they when, they, when they tried to buy booze, the local stores said they wouldn't sell to uh, non-U.S. citizens, and so then they recanted on the secession. 
That's so fucking funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and then the the counter-Republican Florida, I don't, I don't remember what that protest was even about, but they, they seceded for, like, a minute, <laughs> and, then, and then the governor gave them what they wanted, and they unseceded. <laughs> oh, and my, another one of my favorites I, was uh, the Kingdom of Beaver Island. This, this is in Michigan. There, there was, like, a... Okay. Uh, uh, so... Uh, off, off the UP, there's Beaver Island, and there was this, like, big Mormon sect there, the leader of which declared himself the king of Beaver Island, <laughs> <laughs> and, tried to en- and tried to enforce uh, Mormonism on the non-Mormon residents of Beaver Island, <laughs> who then revolted. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of my favorite stories ever. Um, <laughs> I like that. I want to. I want to read about that later. <laughs> yeah, I, someday that'll be like a bonus episode idea where I just tell the story about Beaver Island. <laughs> Sweet, sounds fun. Uh, some of these movements, though, are a lot more serious. Famously, Tex- Texas has hosted a, a healthy secession movement for a long time, pretty much as long as it's been the state. There are also a couple of ideologically distinct secessionist movements in California. From the Calexit people who want to see California as a whole break away from the broader United States. Um, but then there are also f- a lot of fragmented movements within California that want pieces of the state to succeed. To secede. Uh, the, most, the most noteworthy of those movements is uh, the State of Jefferson. The State of Jefferson movement originated in 1941 out of concerns of people in the region that they were being ignored by the state legislature. And so they created the State of Jefferson Citizens Committee. The group began stopping cars on Highway 99 to hand out the state's Proclamation of Independence, a pamphlet outlining the grievances they held and the solutions they proposed. To help rally their cause, they developed a state flag made up of a gold miner's pan with two black X's inside, representing the double cross they felt the Oregon and California state governments had pulled. On December 4, 1941, Judge John Childs was elected governor of Jefferson in the state's temporary capital of Eureka, California. The event was filmed by numerous newsreel companies who were set to air the footage during the week of December 8th. History had other plans as the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor the day after the big premiere. Driven by a sense of national obligation, the Jefferson secession was put aside and never really regained momentum. While the official movement might have died out, the residents of this region still hold the concept in their hearts, with many identifying themselves even today as as the population of the great state of Jefferson. There's also a pretty vocal separatist movement in the Upper Peninsula of our home state in Michigan um, who want to break away and become the state of Superior. Okay. Uh, there's the state of Ab- the state of Absaroka, which is a movement in Wyoming that made some loud noises for a few years in an effort to form a state that would better serve the, the rural, Wyoming's, rural Wyoming's conservative population. Uh, and Alaska has a strong secessionist movement dating all the way back to 1958. Out of all of these, I feel like Alaska makes the most sense. Like, yeah, they probably Alaska have the best deserves case. to be Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this this is a tangent, but like it, it was it was the bombing of Pearl Harbor that like made Jefferson County not not secede because they were like, oh well, we we should be involved in this <laughs> now that the country's going to war. Um, really, like God, yeah. it, it's all just. They're just LARPing, like... I know, right? Yeah. and But there are still people in Jefferson today who insist that they're not part of California. Like, they're they're the state of Jefferson. Okay. Um, but what does that do for you, man? 
I know. It's, <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, it, it, it's the mindset that I, I just, it's very alien to me. Yeah. But and I'm reading a really good book right now that I, I strongly recommend, uh, unless it gets bad in the rest of it, in which case I'll revoke that recommendation. <laughs> but <laughs> it's called How to Hide an Empire, and it's about, like, um, all of America's territories, so, like, Guam, Puerto Rico, the Virgin Islands, and uh, t- treats them treats their histories as, like, a part of American history. It's it's very interesting. Okay. But in the introduction there, he talks about how, like, we think about Pearl Harbor being an attack just on, like, you know, Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. Yeah. But they also attacked American holdings in, in the Philippines and, um, a, I can't remember, but a couple of other islands that were U.S. territories. Huh. I've never heard of that. Yeah. I live here. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was on the same day, and a lot of those attacks were a lot worse. Like, a few of them were occupied by the Japanese for a while. Wow. And um, if you look at, like, because you can get a copy of the draft of, like, the speech that FDR wrote about the Pearl Harbor being the day that will live in infamy. Um, and he, over the course of, like, editing that speech, crossed out references to the Philippines and other territories and eventually made it, like, just about Hawaii, because that was the one most... Most people considered like America. Yeah, and I, it, it's really interesting. Yeah, um, I guess if it's good, we'll put it on the reading list, which is on our website, <laughs> tuckeredoutpod.com. dot com. Yeah, uh, but that's unrelated to anything. Anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, this rhetoric that Dan Bongino is feeding into it, it, it does worry me because we've reached a point now where the political temperature in this country is pretty hot, and it has been for a couple of years. And when you combine that with the narratives that the election was stolen and that the current president is illegitimate, or that whites are being oppressed or even replaced, yeah, um, or that the government is coming to disarm you and install a socialist dictatorship, God, that'd be so nice. <laughs> oh. These are all narratives that Bongino feeds into, and they lead to a very real potential for some violent separatist movements that I don't think this nation is at all prepared for. And if a movement like that were to get some traction, not only is there the potential of horrible terrorist violence, there's also the possibility that the national distribution of food could be disrupted. Keep in mind, most of our food is grown in these rural areas that might foster secessionist movements. And that's only one domino in a series that could fall and create some pretty significant disruptions in life here in the United States. Like, I really do think that this kind of rhetoric, uh, this abandonment of discourse abandonment of coexistence with the other is dangerous yeah also a little disclaimer uh socialist dictatorship is an oxymoron and i don't think i could support it because i don't think it can exist but i (laughs) I, that was just a joke anyway (laughs) (laughs) and uh i i will say dan bongino is not the only one doing this back in december the late rush limbaugh had this to say in his radio show quote I actually think that we're trending towards secession. I see more and more people asking what in the world do we have in common with the people who live in, say, New York. There cannot be a peaceful coexistence of two completely different theories of life, theories of government, theories of how we manage our affairs. We can't be in this dire conflict without something giving somewhere along the way. So, it, it, people can disagree with me or think I'm, over, I'm overemphasizing this, and I might be, but I, I do take this talk seriously. Like, the United States is a big country, and it would not be hard for a group of sufficiently motivated people to turn swaths of it into an occupied territory. And if something like that were to happen, I somehow doubt that those territories would be especially friendly to minorities or people of color. Imagine being a trans person living in rural Wyoming, 
when suddenly the area that you live in declares its independence from the United States, partly predicated on the idea that these chemical castrating trans people are evil. Like that That's not a safe place for you to live. No, it sure isn't. Like, I, I can imagine little else more terrifying. And, like, I don't want to fearmonger. I don't think a civil war is being right around the corner, but I think something like that can happen. And I, I think that the conditions for it to happen largely are present in parts of the country now. So I I think that we should take this stuff seriously when it's touted on the most popular news network in the country. Yeah. The most popular news network in the country sure does say a lot of bullshit. It really does, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> um, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have already listened to this, but if you haven't, uh, It Could Happen Here by Robert Evans. The audiobook is free. It's essentially designed to convince you that something like a second American Civil War is possible. Okay. And I, I, I thought about, like... The reason I structured the episode the way I did is because listening to Dan Mangino talk made me think a lot about that book. Okay. So on every episode of Unfiltered with Dan Mangino, after his monologue, he brings on a, a leftist for a rebuttal. Um, and they'll have a little debate for a few minutes, and then they leave. I have a feeling it will not be a very fair <laughs> You're discussion. A, I, I think you might be onto something, by the way. Because in this episode that we've been listening to, he brings on for the rebuttal a guy named Roger Fisk. Fisk is a former aide to the Obama White House, um, and there he's his rebuttal here is about critical race theory. Let's listen to how this gets started. Tonight, we're lining out how the Great Awakening's happening. Conservatives are fighting back. We're making our own beds locally. Here for the rebuttal is Roger Fisk, former longtime Obama aide. Roger, thanks a lot for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dan, and uh, congratulations on your premiere show. Oh, thank you. It's very nice of you. Uh, Roger, is critical race theory racist? Well, one of the first things is critical race theory is not necessarily a construct. I think it's become kind of this bucket of, uh, you know, think that people throw in uh, issues that they have with historical Just say no. Uh, the way that campuses are adjudicating speech issues. Like, I think it's kind of become this kind of magnet that's been dragged through a grievance kind of metal shop because critical race theory itself is, is not necessarily oh, a curriculum. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming maybe you know that, but it, it's, it's just become kind of this grab bag of uh, a lot of the grievances that you, that you, uh, that you shared. Yeah, so that was terrible. That was fucking awful. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like no critical race theory isn't racist. You just say no. That's all you need to do. Like, like you just lost. Yep, you sure did. Oh my god! When you're in this environment, there's not room for nuance. Don't try. (laughs) Like seriously, and like he's not wrong. Like the right is just using critical race theory as like this week's whipping boy of a term. Yeah, and. You're right, but in the context of the show that you're on, it sounds like you're just not answering the question. Yes, it does. Oh, my God. He didn't. He didn't answer the question. (laughs) Is critical race theory racist? Well, it's complicated, is what he said. Like, that's not an answer. Yeah, yeah. That. Like, as soon as he started talking, your face was (laughs) a work of art. Um, Maybe one day we'll be a video podcast, and then the <laughs> people will get to experience my anguish. Uh, and then from here, so Dan Bongino, he uh, he says he's done some reading. I 
I question whether or not I believe him. To, to, no, to I, take I, a... Um, so, well, I've just read say, some of it. You know, a, I've read a good amount of it. And uh, the problem I have with it, Roger, is when you do read into the, uh, the, the bedrock principles of what critical race theory is, you know, the white male patriarchy, knowledge is a construct of power. If you're white, you're an oppressor. Um, I ask you, I, you're white. Are, are you an oppressor? Well, my, I, I don't believe that I am. I make a point to try not to oppress people. But through the lens of my own That's family, cool. I can see both the strengths and the flaws of the American experience. And I'll expand on that just briefly, if, if I may. Um, some of my ancestors, like Ebenezer Fisk and Ephraim Fisk, fought in the American Revolution. There were three Fisks on the Salem witch trial, and they sent a bunch of young women who were widely regarded as innocent now to their death. So I'm not going to go back and say that we shouldn't talk about the Fisks that were on the Salem witch trial jury because it is the darker <laughs> side of my family's history. And I think with America, we're at our best when we're willing to kind of self-scrutinize. And this is one of the things Stop that I share talking. with progressive audiences all the time. <laughs> oh, my God. How much longer does it go on for? Uh, they, I think there's like a minute left in this clip. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you an oppressor? Well, actually, my ancestors killed witches, so... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's... that's like, no stars. Can I, give, can I award you no stars? <laughs> Oh, okay. <sighs> the correct answer <laughs> is that critical race theory does not say that every individual white person is an oppressor. Yeah, and when you say, oh, Dan, Dan said, I've read a good amount of it. Okay, name a writer. <laughs> who, who have you read, Dan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. About American exceptionalism. In our 235 years, we have embarked on a more self-corrective course in terms of addressing as many of our warts, wrinkles, and scars as possible than any other civilization in history. And that is one of the things that makes us special and makes us unique uh, and something to be cherished. But to look at our history and say that we're not going to tolerate a full and robust conversation about it, I don't think is doing uh, right by our, by our history and, and by what well, we owe Roger, the next generation. I, oof. Yeah, so I like I, I I see his point that I'm not gonna not talk about the Fisks who killed witches just because I disagree with them. Uh, it's important that we talk about all American all of America's history. Um, like I, I I take your point. Like that's fair. But, yeah, but like that's not even the discussion that they're having. You know. Yeah, it's just like this is why this is why if someone says debate me, debating them is useless. Yeah, yeah, like. Dan Mangino isn't gonna be convinced. Even if he, even if this guy came on and was like the most effective person ever, I don't think Dan Mangino would be convinced because he has a presupposition that critical race theory yeah. is racist. And if anyone comes on and says no, it's not, he's like, oh well, that guy was just a fucking idiot. You yeah, know, he, he he he's not bringing you on because he's interested in what you have to say. He's bringing you on because the audience wants to see him dunk on you. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That being said, in this next clip, Fisk does make the closest thing to, like, a good point that I think he gets to. Let's hear it. Well, I appreciate the answer, but I would dispute that. I, I don't 
Are you, are you really suggesting that we don't, in our school curriculum, analyze our history? I think that's absurd. But, uh, but I, I just want to suggest something as well. It's not that critical race theory, it's bad enough that they're claiming if you're white, you're somehow an oppressor, which you just admitted you're not. So you probably don't believe in critical race theory. Just, you know, it's tautological. But they want to address historical inequities you weren't responsible for. You just said it was your family members, not you. You had nothing to do with it. So I ask you, if critical race theory, we should address historical inequities. What are you personally doing to address your family's inequities? Are you redistributing your money, giving back property? I'm just kind of wondering if people live by their own, you know, their own principles. So what the fuck is that? We don't. It's absurd that we don't analyze our history in history classes. I was explicitly taught that the Civil War was fought over states' rights. Do we analyze our history? Maybe. (laughs) Do we analyze what actually happened? Not so much. (laughs) I recently read the the Constitution drafted by the Confederacy, um, and it was like the second point that, like, they forbid any law infringing on the right to own slaves. (laughs) What was the first one? We're leaving the United States? (laughs) I I think so. I'll find it again and I'll link it in the episode description. Um, It's not super important, but you know. No, but like, uh, also I had, I was, I was mislabeled there. That's the clip where Dan says something incredibly stupid. And then this, this is the, the one where Fisk makes a half decent point. Unfortunately, with that illustrious history, it did not come with a lot of wealth. So I I wish I was in a situation where there could be some. Unfortunately, with that illustrious history, it did not come with a lot of wealth. So I I wish I was in a situation where there could be something to be given away. But let me give you another example. When the George Floyd situation happened in Minnesota, I took the time to go back into some of Minnesota's laws. And a couple generations ago, Minnesota had a program where um, farmers who normally then were renting or leasing land, you know, on which they would grow, could buy their farms. And guess who was excluded from that program 60, 70, 80 years ago? Black Black farmers were excluded. Now, if you want to think, A, that that doesn't impact the level of wealth amongst African-American families in Minnesota, that's your right. And if B, B, you also want to not have that taught or have that be part of a conversation. I'm having conversations like this. I'm sticking up for a robust and honest conversation about the the strengths and the weaknesses of the American experience. But why not, Roger, get together with a group of other liberal thinkers Pull your money together and address these historical inequities. What's stopping you guys from doing that? I'm, I'm unsure what well, the obstacle is. I mean, if you want to talk about what I've done with my life and my values, you've referenced some of my service. I mean, I've been part of presidential campaigns. I've put thousands of hours, and I know you're a public servant as well. I mean, I've put that thousands is. of hours of my life into what I believe is uh, a more perfect mm-hmm. union. And so that is, yeah. and part of that, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't get up in the morning and, and, and want to have long, like long-winded conversations about what happened in 1690 and things like that. But at the same time, I'm not going to turn around to someone, and like, for example, a family right now in Minnesota, and say that a program 70 or 80 years ago that excluded black families from owning yeah, their awful. farm has no impact yeah. on today. I'm just, I, and, and, yeah. and we have to be honest. Well, I don't think anyone's suggesting. I'm just suggesting liberals have a lot of money. Why not get together and practice what you preach and and redistribute your own income. I mean, you could rectify a lot of these historical inequities. Barack Obama has a place on Martha's Vineyard. Why doesn't he let some people move in? Why not sell off portions of it and give some money away? I'm, again, I'm just I, asking. It's a principal question. I real, that's like saying you're a Second Amendment uh, proponent, so why not give guns to people as they walk by your house? I mean, 
if you to, to, to go into no. that kind of granular level of hypothetical, I don't think is necessarily productive. Well, well, you're asking other people to do it. So I think it's only fair. But Roger, thanks a lot. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks very much. Thank you. Damn. Talk about a fourth quarter comeback. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was where, that was where I, I was. like, OK, Fisk at the end here. He, he yeah. Comes yeah. I thought that made Dan look like shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, I don't, I'm sure his audience doesn't feel that way, but that was, that was good. Yeah, that's something, like, I would be curious to know how his audience did interpret that, that exchange there, because, yeah. like, I felt like it was pretty clear that Dan sounded like a fucking idiot. Yeah. How come <laughs> you're not doing this exact thing that I want you to do? Because, yeah, like, he, he never, he, he never had a rebuttal to, uh, the, the, that program creating systemic inequities, it was just... He would say, well, I'm not saying it doesn't, but why don't you do this ridiculous thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you do this thing I made up that I think represents your values? Like, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> Liberals have a lot of money. Why don't you all just get together and give your money away? Like, yeah, that's ridiculous. For, for the rest of that episode, Dan talks about wokeness in the military, and then he does a segment called Republicans Pounce, where he praises Ted Cruz for being mean to Kamala Harris, and I don't want to deal with it. Um... <laughs> I do, however, have a couple of clips I want to play from two recent episodes of his podcast that, that just show us that the, the kind of pseudo-secessionist strain here wasn't a one-off. This is from an episode called Two Americas. With your host, Dan Bongino. You know, I, I talk a lot on my show about these two Americas, the real America we live in. Talked about it on my Fox show over the weekend, too. And the other America, the illiberal left, the anti-civil liberties left, the Antifa, BLM, radical leftists who hate civil liberties, everything about it, don't want free and fair elections, hate free speech, all that stuff. They live in a different America. It's not the real America we're used to on the ground. And I've never seen a video so sum it up than this video of this Hollywood leftist, which I'll get to in a minute. But that's going to be the theme of today's show. He really just says it right there. Like, oh, my gosh, there's another America out there I've never seen before. And good for him. I'm not making fun of him. But it really sums up. I don't want everyone to think you're wasting your time here. It sums up what I've been telling you for a long time. The golden rule. The golden, Dan Bongino, golden rule number one. We think liberals are people with bad ideas. Liberals think we're bad people with ideas. And anything we can do to bridge that communication divide and help us win the culture war and get them to stop thinking we're bad people with ideas, it'll help. May not be pretty, but it'll help. Well, if members of your party would stop saying that large swaths of people aren't allowed to exist, um, I would stop <laughs> saying that you're bad people. Yeah, yeah. There's personally, a, like, I, I don't think that. All conservatives are bad people. I think no. that, uh, like Dan Bongino, is a bad person. Yeah, because he uh, he regularly lies and misleads thousands of people. Um, yeah, that, that's something bad people do. Yeah, I, I, I really think that modern American conservatism, if you are down for it, you're not cool, man. Like it is just overtly. I don't want black people in my neighborhood. I don't want trans people to be allowed to be in public. You know, like they don't care about policies. It's not like they used to, like Republicans used to pretend that they're like fiscal conservatives or whatever. And they're all about balancing the budget, but they go in there and they blow up the budget and they make everything harder for minorities. So if that is what you want, I'm not cool with you. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's tough. Cause I, 
it's hard to say things like completely categorically. I'm sure there are people who voted Republican who just want the budget tighter or whatever, or the numbers lower, you know? Uh, but overwhelmingly, that's what the Republican Party is right now, and I'm not cool with it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, as, as far as the 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 media ecosystem and the elected leaders, it's garbage. Yeah. And I, I guess that has to say something about, like, the the consumers of the media and the voters for those officials, but... Yeah. I I think there's a, a a large part of it that's like the people in power are like sweeping people up in this movement of racism and xenophobia. Um, yeah, it, it if if you're told the story that like these people coming over the border are the reason that you're poor, then yeah. I, like I don't I I don't want to get to people are ultimately responsible for their own actions, but I right. think like if you've never had any actual exposure to diversity, for example, it's pretty easy if you disbelieve things you're told about people who aren't like you. Yeah. So I, I I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready to give up on them. I guess. <laughs> yeah. And and no, I don't, I don't, and I don't think we should give up on them. But like current modern conservatism, I, I, I don't even know how you can negotiate with them. You know. Yeah, and and. And Dan is also pretending he's taking a conciliatory path here. Like, anything we can do to bridge that divide, it's not going to be pretty, but it'll help. We're going to get into, like, if you get down to the, the studs of what he's actually saying, this is not about conciliation. This is about separation. He t- he is very much given up on coexistence. And this is where... He was just talking about recession or secession. Yeah, right? and, <laughs> and this is where like, it makes me angry that we've allowed the right to ta- to claim a monopoly on patriotism. Yeah, because it does not seem to me like Dan Bongino likes his country very much. No, like it, it, I'm shitting on the right a lot. Um, I feel like the right hates this country. <laughs> like they're like, damn, I hate all these black people in my neighborhoods. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, <laughs> like it, it, it's it's maybe a little a little like flowery and neoliberally, but I I do I, I give some credit to the argument that Rob that Robert Fisk made that uh. That we've done more in 200 years to address our wars than any other country. Like, it, uh, more is relative, but I think... But we were real shit 200 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean... like and We've come a long way, like absolutely. It's, it's easy to lose sight. This is a very young country, and we've made yeah. really impressive strides from the time that we've been around. Like, I, there are things about this country that are worth loving and worth preserving. I'm not... Absolutely. I, I, like, I don't... I want America to change precisely because I don't hate it, and I think that it can improve and be even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it, th- that's just a pet peeve of mine when like the we, we we let these guys act like they have a monopoly on patriotism. Like I I, just, I don't think it's fair. Yeah, it's like the left the left loves this country and wants to make it better. The right want loves this country and wants it to not change ever again. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, that that doesn't yeah, they they love it the way it was. We love it the way it can be. Yeah. Yeah, um, perfect. And also, he mentioned a video about a Hollywood leftist there. Do you know who this Hollywood leftist he's talking about is? Hollywood leftist. Uh, ben Affleck. You are shockingly close. Oh, r- really? <laughs> Hollywood's not our friend. I get that. They will never be our friend. But ladies and gentlemen, these people have voices. Voices we don't have. Think about it. I have a show on Fox, a radio show, a podcast, and one of the largest Facebook pages in the country. 
I'm not bragging self-praise things. I'm telling you that to make a point. It's actually anti-self-praise. That folks, despite all of that, and all of those mediums I have to communicate with people, a couple of words by a Hollywood celebrity with 10 or 15 million followers that makes it onto TMZ and the nightly news can have a lot more of an effect on the illiberal left and moderate Democrats who are persuadable in one quick sentence than I can have probably in a week. Again, it's anti-self-praise. It's not self-praise. I'm just telling you the facts. The kids, the impressionable people out there who haven't calcified their political beliefs, they listen to these people. You know what? Let me play the video first. I'm going to go a little out of order. I was going to do this LA Times article first, but since I've been referencing it, this is Matt Damon. (laughs) (laughs) Ben Affleck's best friend. Yeah, like, that, that, was, that was remarkable. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, uh, he's talking about Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Damon. This is the second time I've had a lucky guess on this show. I just want <laughs> uh, Matt Damon, he's playing a character in an upcoming movie who the character is like a, a Trump supporter. Um, and so to, to get in character, Matt Damon lived for a, or he hung out for a while in rural Oklahoma. Um, Interesting. And like talk to talk to Trump voters there and got a sense of what they're like. And there's this video where he's talking about how like he found they're they're really good people and they're they're proud of who they are. Um, they 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 don't lie about anything. They just own their shit. And then he says uh, like a, a lot of these guys, their lives are dependent on working on an oil rig. Of course, they're going to vote for Trump. It's not even a question for them. And Dan Bongino talks about that for a long time about like. It, See the these leftists they can be persuaded. Listen to Matt Damon. If they, if they meet us, they can be persuaded. <laughs> Debatable. Um, I don't think I would be persuaded by that. But my problem when Dan Bongino talks about there being two Americas and one's a real America. Yeah. Um, if if liberals aren't living in the real America, then by definition they are not real Americans, and that is uh, that's the kind of rhetoric we see a lot. That, from fascists yeah that immediately <laughs> precedes violence like uh, yes like one of the reasons it's so easy to scapegoat the jews all the time is because there's this per- pervasive belief that no matter where they live the jews aren't really loyal to the country they're in they're loyal to um, israel yeah yeah so it, I, I, just, I don't like that kind of talk and he, and he, he tempers it a bit acting like he's being conciliatory here and like we need to reach out but in this clip, he's going to explain what he what he's actually talking about. There are two Americas. There is very little overlap between these conflict divisions about America. Ideas about freedom, about liberty, about guns, about Trump. There's very little overlap. And the only way to get that overlap, which, listen, as much as it pains me to say, we do need these people, not the libs. The libs, I'm telling you, are beyond talking to. But the moderate Democrats who respect and love this country and have been misguided by ideological, uh, 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 by a, a war on a, a propaganda war waged through our public schools and indoctrination factories everywhere. Sorry, I just want to make sure I phrase that the right way. They are persuadable. And the way to persuade it is to find some overlap. We're not going to agree with them on everything, but we cannot have a country, a unified collective landmass. A fully functioning country 
that's willing to defend itself and its people. If one half says we love the country despite its flaws and the other half says this country sucks, it's irredeemable. There is no middle ground there. We have to understand that this culture war is being waged by the left face to face and we have to get face to face too. That's how they keep winning. And it happens when people like Matt Damon accidentally in the course of his work come across people he previously thought were bad people with ideas and finds out that they're people with what he thinks are bad ideas. You may say that's progress. Yes, it is. It is. Okay, he's really nailing himself to the cross of Matt Damon talked to a Trump supporter. (laughs) Okay, you know what would be really good for an oil rig worker whose livelihood is at stake because oil is not being as profitable, a social safety net so that he could leave work and not die. (laughs) Yeah, isn't it crazy how that works? (laughs) That is what would be good for him, and he's voting for someone who wants the exact opposite, who thinks welfare is slavery or whatever. And I I, I wanted to keep that in because it's it's clear that when Dan Maggino talks about reaching out to people and uh, bridging these divides, he's not talking about bridging divides with us he thinks we're we're lost causes yeah he's right. talking about the people like my mom who could go either way yeah but uh and we, we we've made some hay about tucker's weak-ass analogy game let's see if damn he knows any better <laughs> you know we argue the facts against liberals and we always wonder why aren't they listening what they don't know teaching white kids to hate themselves as racist what they don't know no they know They just see us as bad people with ideas. They don't care about what you're saying. You get it? It's like arguing physics with your dog. Like, it doesn't matter how much you say F equals MA. You know, kinetic and potential energy are inversely related. The dog doesn't get it. A lot of liberals are like the dog trying to teach physics. You can tell them all you want. Reagan cut taxes and tax revenue went up. Teaching kids to hate them for themselves for their skin color is racist. They're not listening. They think you're a bad person because they've never met you. They don't know you. They don't go to your churches. They don't go to your restaurants. They sit there in their liberal Parcheesi club and talk about how Trump is a xenophobic racist who has given uh, Vladimir Putin back rubs over in Russia while they colluded to win the 2016 election. They don't care about anything else. I wish okay. they did. Oh, he's still going. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, he'll catch you with those pauses. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Uh, don't get too far out of your depth with the physics talk, bud. Potential energy and kinetic energy are not inversely related. What the? F- they're not even directly related <laughs> mathematically. So chill. <laughs> um. Everyone. Okay, this was the big one. Everyone fucking knows that it's racist to teach your kid that it i forget what he said that white people uh, to hate themselves because yes, they to hate their skin. to hate themselves cuz everybody knows that that's racist good thing it's not fucking happening anywhere <laughs> jesus christ Dan. <sighs> okay <laughs> i know it's his own show so he can just frame reality however he wants yeah but yeah it's a mess just just to prove here that uh, Dan is not interested in coexistence or reconciliation, the, these last couple of clips are from another, another recent episode of his podcast called Get Away from the Libs as Quickly as You Can. <laughs> <laughs> here's, 
Here's the episode begins. Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Okay, two things to start the show today. One, listen, nothing's real anymore to leftists. Nothing. Spying, government spying, critical race theory, censorship. Nothing's real. It's all made up. It's all a figment of our imagination. That's number one. I'm going to go into that today with a series of stories showing you how leftists, again, they just reality just kicks them in the cojones every day, so they just lie. Nothing's real. Nothing's happening. Nothing to see here. But second, the second point, which is going to be critical, we got to get away from these people. I, I know that may trouble some people listening to the show. That we have to get away from these people. We have to evacuate these liberal states and shrink the federal government to the point where we can live in our own little freedom and liberty-loving enclaves, whether they're states, municipalities, or whatever. We have to get away from these. These are sick, troubled, disturbed people. They don't care about anything. They'll support spying, violence, speech suppression, government leaking, imprisonment of their political opponents. We have got to get away from these people. There will be no rapprochement. Hey, don't let big tech uh, spy on you and track what you do online. Anonymize your online activity today. Get a VPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Don't wait. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Let's. <laughs> I already forgot that word he said. What? Reprochement. That's the one. Yeah, uh, he's, he's used that word at least twice that I've heard. <laughs> I... Did he make it up? <laughs> Uh, you know, I did not look it up. I'm just assuming it means like a, a reconciliatory meeting or something. Okay, okay. How do we even spell Ripper? Well, you, I don't, <laughs> well, you look that up. Um, I feel like we've kind of been over this, and I've been making jokes about um, the right just like LARPing, but like I feel like that's all this is. We've already talked about how like the recessionist movements are like, they want to keep. They want to live somewhere with people who are more like them, but not so much that they actually want to move somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, where where does this movement have to go? If like they're oh, we should all move. Like, okay, go, try it. <laughs> and then it you know, can, yeah. I mean, it, you can go the white now the white nationalist route and it becomes like they should all leave <laughs> okay but like the logistics of that are where you have to pick a place in the real world <laughs> like just giving to them that we could put an entire race somewhere where what's your what's your plan for doing that you can't he uh he, he did definitely turn it into a vbn commercial too <laughs> yes he did <laughs> they're spying on you don't let them do that <laughs> Let's get right to it. I've got a huge update, which will encompass everything I just talked about in the Tucker Carlson story, which just keeps getting weirder. Yep. So this is where Tucky Tease comes in. Um, Our favorite little boy. Dan Bongino has been giving a lot of coverage to the NSA story. This is a very big deal for him. Um, talks about it a little bit more here. So here I do get a complaint sometimes, which is fine. The show's for you. You're certainly allowed to complain. If you don't like it, tell me. I'd love to hear what you have to say. But one of the complaints I do get is, Dan, you're always angry at the liberals. Yep, yep, yep. Sure am. That's not going to change. So, again, I, I don't, I'm not urging anyone to tune out. I love having you, but I'm sorry, but that's not going to change. You want someone who wants to play patty cake with these people, you're going to have to find a different show. I'm not interested. These people are totalitarian tyrant lunatics 
who will are burning this country to the ground that I'm not interested in playing ball. Nothing's real. They lie about everything. CRT, that's not real. We're not teaching CRT, critical race theory. Sure you are. Government censorship, that's not happening. Spying, spying on Tucker Carlson, that's not real. Ah, uh, now it's been confirmed. Yeah, you missed that? Yeah, Axios confirmed the story that Tucker Carlson, in fact, is being spied on by the NSA. And now all of a sudden, all the talking heads are like, dude, they're doing what they always do. Joe, goalpost? Move. Yeah. Now it's, it's the same way it was with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's not being spied on. You're all conspiracy theorists. Then it morphed into what? Remember that show? No, no, no. He's being spied on, but it's okay. He's a Russian spy. No. And then when it turned out that he wasn't a Russian spy and he was being spied on, oh, it was just incidental collection. This is the left. I don't want to live with these people anymore. If you live near me, please move. I'm begging you to please go away. I don't want to, I'm not interested in talking to you anymore. I don't want you on my show. I don't want you listening to my show. I don't want to live near you. I don't want to do like a Joe Biden. I don't want to sniff you walking by you on the streets. Just go away. Please go away. Go back to your little communist enclaves in New York and LA or whatever. Ruin those places. Please stay away from me and anybody I know. I don't want to see you or hear from you. What happened to Let's Bridge the Gap, D'Anthony Bongino? Yeah, it's quite a turn, huh? And I like how now it's, please move away from me. <laughs> you move. Why is it Why is it their job to move? Because you don't like them. That is a you problem, dog. <laughs> and he, uh, he, he's, so you know how Tucker one week just decided that everybody had admitted that the coronavirus came from a lab? It's kind of the same thing. Dan just decided that everybody admitted Trump was being spied on. Uh, That still was never true. (laughs) But almost all of his examples were, like, things that didn't actually happen. We don't teach critical race theory in public schools. It's a collegiate thing. Uh, I forget what the other one was. Yeah, Yeah. and then... uh, But this next clip, Tyler, brings us to our most important development of this entire show. I think that Dan Bongino might be a fan of Mike Birbiglia. Let me explain the Constitution to the liberal dipwads watching the program right now. You anti-civil liberties thugs, body bag business supporters. That's not how any of this works. It doesn't matter who you talk to if there's no probable cause that you committed a crime. Let me give you an example, because I know liber- I know how stupid you dipwads are. Let's say there's a local deli in your area, and the guy who owns the deli happens to be connected to organized crime. He's a soldier in the whatever, Joey Bag of Donuts crime family. Doesn't matter. Guy makes you a sandwich. You don't like the sandwich. You call him up to complain. You strike up a friendship on the phone. He said, I'm really sorry. Come back in. We'll give you free sandwich. Guy texts you the next week. You have an ongoing relationship with this dude, whatever. You go out fishing together. You have no idea what he does. I've got news for you. He may be a criminal. You're not. You did nothing wrong. The Bill of Rights protects you against unlawful search and seizure unless there is probable cause on a warrant presented to a judge to spy on you. That's how the process... I know liberals are scratching their heads, the foaming at the mouth, 
the Cujo-style violence. You're probably beating someone up right now, joining Antifa, terrorizing conservatives outside of CPAC in Dallas. You're grabbing your baseball bats. I know you violent animals. I know how you are. I know you're upset there's a constitution because you can't violently attack and spy on your political opponents, but that's not how it works. Okay. Joey Bag of Donuts aside. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that was a lot, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it, you went fishing with Joey Bag of Donuts, and then you're not... It, we don't need to unpack that. <laughs> I, I really didn't like his his tear at the end there, that it, you're getting ready with your baseball bats. I know you, you violent thugs. <laughs> like, yeah. That was a little uh, unpleasant. Yeah. This next clip I don't have any notes for, but it's labeled violent. <laughs> Again, showing you these people have no principles. They are tyrant totalitarians. Get away from them as fast as you can. As my father used to say, run, don't walk. Violence is right around the corner for these people, and they'll justify that too. It's already here with Antifa and BLM. But I'm telling you, this is going to get worse. You cannot change these people. They are sick people. Here, here's another one. Here's this Gavin Coble. This guy's really, he thinks he's a real genius. So say it's common practice to monitor communications of adversaries, especially when that communication comes from within the United States. This is entirely legitimate and legal. Again, a moron who has no comprehension of basic constitutional facts at all and is, is more than happy to advertise his imbecility. And he's talking about J.D. Vance. He goes, this dork want full, let me cater to the dumbest and most reactionary vote possible, while pre precisely while tweeting out the dumbest, most reactionary thing possible. It totally misreads, doesn't understand the Constitution at all. He doesn't care. These people are totalitarian tyrants. Run away from them as soon as you can. They are an existential threat to your freedom or in liberty. I am not kidding. It's not a joke. It's not cutesy time anymore. Okay, like, he talks about how the Democrats are totalitarian tyrants, with which, like, he doesn't say why or how or what they're doing yeah. to affect you. Yeah, and what really stuck out to me there was him saying, uh, violence is just around the corner for these people. They are an existential threat to your freedom and liberty. <laughs> like, th this is nothing but pure escalation. And, like, it, yeah, like, I, I, dangerous. Yeah, and, like, I've been talking about it for the last hour, but it, this is the same guy who, maybe more than any other individual person, is invested in creating, like, alternative conservative media spaces mm -hmm. where these ideas can just get compounded and these false beliefs about reality can get compounded without question, without challenge. And then we'll have another January 6th riot. Yeah, I just, like, it... I I, I hope I'm not sounding more alarmist than I am, but I I think this is worth taking seriously. Yeah, you said he had 800,000 subscribers, and yeah. it's, like, the biggest Facebook page or something. Like, this is dangerous. This absolutely is dangerous. Like, I feel bad that I'm kind of jaded to all of the... how bad this is, because I just... It was the whole last presidency. Like, yeah, pe people are the left is coming to destroy your way of life. Yeah, I just like it. 
he he's not directly starting any fires, but there are a lot of uh, he's handing out a lot of lighters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there are, there are a lot of piles of tinder in this country, and he's tossing a lot of matches. Yeah. So that that that's all I got. Other than, um, I, I thought a good a, a good a good way to sum this up in Dan Magino's own words would be this clip from uh, 2018 when he was a host on NRA TV. Folks, they know they're losing. Listen, I know this isn't right. I know I'm not supposed to say it. Don't worry, Denise. It's not going to be anything bad. Denise is like, whenever I say that, I think she's like, no. But I know I shouldn't say this. I know it's not right. Really, in my heart, I know. But I tweet it out before I get on the show, and I mean it. I'd be lying to you otherwise. My entire life right now is about owning the libs. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) My entire life. (sighs) And... That's it's like the entire right. That's the only thing they stand for is owning the lid. Yeah, it's so indicative of this entire movement that like, you define yourself solely in opposition to something else. Yeah. Like, it seems like such a horrible way to live. Yes, sure does. And no, I do not define myself in opposition to Tucker Carlson. It's just a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a feature of my passions. <laughs> um, but yeah... Uh, I thought that was a good place for us to end. Um, I would be interested in revisiting Dan Bongino every once in a while if our audience is interested. So, listeners, if you want to hear me once in a while, just t- take a stop and see what Bongino's been up to. Let me know. Because um, he, like a lot of these other hosts, like I, I find Tucker interesting. Um, I don't find like Hannity or Ingram interesting, but Bongino is another one. They're there there's some there's some nuance there there's some things we can talk about yeah for sure i mean um, we just spent two and a half hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah so if, if you liked this and want to hear more about dan bongino let me know um and you can do that at our email tuckeroutpod.com on twitter at tuckeroutpod and we've got a website you can reach us there and all the citations and everything are there too yep um, uh, email is tuckeroutpod at gmail.com uh, soon there will be a uh, fan dig- a fan dedicated Facebook page. Um, We're at Tuckered Out Pod on Twitter, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, we have a Patreon, Tuckered Out. Yep. And catch us on stream tomorrow with uh, Jody and Vienna from Imperial News. Yeah. Uh, they're on Twitch, Imperial News with a Z, no space. <laughs> I didn't even notice it was with a Z. You're totally right. <laughs> like, their, their show isn't with a Z, but their Twitch account is with a Z. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Um uh yeah have a good one yeah wh- thanks for listening what's our sworn enemy tyler damn it troy <laughs> <laughs> i've been trying to make one up and i'm really bad at um okay okay sworn enemy um the the authoritarian totalitarian tyrant socialists <laughs> who who exist <laughs> i swear <laughs> Just don't, just don't look it up. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't look for any evidence. <laughs> All right, guys, we'll be back. Um, have a great rest of your week. Buck up, it's going to get better. <laughs>